Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Bereshit, Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And He created humankind, in Hebrew called Adam, to be His image bearers to steward the creation on behalf of God, the creator and king. The humans were also called to be fruitful and multiply, that is, to bring the knowledge and love and the ways of God to the ends of the earth, to be intermediaries of God's blessing. And God dwelled among them in his beautiful garden. But the humans were influenced by a mysterious evil, and they chose to rebel against God, to redefine good and evil on their own terms, and to try to take over the throne of God. From this point on, jealousy, greed, deception, lust, anger, and murder entered the earth. And the inevitable consequence of this other kingdom, referred to as Bavel. Bavel is known as the Tower of Babel, and later as Babylon in the scriptures. I've talked about this before. It's a symbol of the evil and corrupt kingdom, that other kingdom. And God scattered the first attempt at this kingdom, the kingdom of Bavel, the Tower of Babel, when the humans tried to make themselves great And they tried to take over the throne of God again, just as they did in the garden. But God's purpose was to dwell with the humans, to live among them and within them, and to rescue them from this evil kingdom and from the mysterious evil influencer. God's purpose is to restore the humans to their rightful identity as image bearers, Of God and children of God the Father, and to restore their rightful calling to bring the love and presence of God to the ends of the earth so that God can once again dwell among them. And so, out of Babylon, God called one of the humans named Avram at the time, or Abram, and promised that through Abram and his descendants, God would bless all the families and nations of the earth. And God made this promise more explicit in a covenant with Abram to bless his descendants to be numerous and multiply them in the land of Israel so that God could use the children of Abram as an intermediary to bless all the nations through them in that land. God didn't choose Avram and his descendants the children of Israel, because they were special, but so that God could manifest his faithfulness 
and his covenant promise and his love for them. Avram was renamed Avraham, father of many, in this process of confirming his intermediary role. And as we see the story unfold in the lives of Avraham and Yitzhak and Yaakov, the humans are continually torn between these two kingdoms, the corrupt kingdom of Babel, promoted by the mysterious evil influencer, and the kingdom of God, now connected to this covenantal promise with Abraham. Sometimes the descendants of Abraham, they stole and they cheated. And sometimes they brought blessing. Abraham's great-grandson, Yosef, or Joseph, is rejected by his brothers and thrown into a pit and left for dead and then raised up and given power over them and the whole known world. And Joseph is now in a position to take revenge on his brothers. But of course, he doesn't do that. Joseph saves his brothers. He forgives them, provides for them. The kingdom of God, the love and forgiveness of that kingdom, and the covenant promise of Abraham are at the center of Joseph's story. Shemot, Exodus. But the children of Joseph are in a foreign land, and another evil leader who doesn't know Yosef comes to power, who seems to embody the evil influencer in the garden. This king redefines good and evil again, trying to prevent the Israelites from being fruitful and multiplying, which would be the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. So he sets out to murder innocent babies. This is the kingdom of Babel once again. And so God rescues the children of Abraham from this evil kingdom to make them his own treasured possession. And he gives them his Torah, that is, his instruction and ways, so that they can be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. God takes the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be his people, defined defined by being rescued from evil and defined by being committed to the promise of keeping his commands, his instructions in the Torah. Israel is called to obey God's instruction in what, in what is the Torah, primarily this way, by loving God and loving others and by trusting in God alone. And the tablets of this covenant promise, it was written down. They were kept in an ark within a tabernacle. Vayikra, Leviticus. Now, in this Torah, God sets up an elaborate system for rescuing Israel from the evil influencer and from the evil kingdom. This system has priests who act as intermediaries to make sacrifices, to atone for the sins of Israel. This system also has a tabernacle and later a temple in which God can dwell among his people just like he did in the garden. God would dwell by his presence in the holy of holies, the innermost part of this tabernacle where the tablets of the Torah covenant, that promise, that's where they were kept. The focal point of this whole system 
The most important day is today, Yom Kippur. The high priest would go in once a year with a bull and ram and two goats as different offerings, and he would bathe himself to be completely clean and clothe himself in a clean white tunic with a turban. The bull was to be a sin offering and the ram a burnt offering for the high priest's own personal sins. And as for the two goats, one would be a sin offering for the entire nation of Israel, and the other would be Azazel, which is where we get the term scapegoat. The priest would lay his hands on this other goat and transfer all the sins of Israel onto it, and the goat would wander off into the desert to die. The first goat's blood would be taken into the innermost part of the tabernacle, into the very presence of God, above the covenant tablets, only once a year on Yom Kippur. And the people were to afflict themselves, that is, to fast and repent, every year on the tenth day of the seventh month, which is today. Bamidbar, numbers, or in the wilderness. After receiving the Torah and setting up the tabernacle, the children of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years. Why? Because of their lack of trusting God, which is one of the pillars of the Torah. But God protects them, and he reiterates his covenantal faithfulness in Devarim, or Deuteronomy, and reminds them to trust God and to obey his instructions in the Torah. And so the children of Jacob enter the land that God promised through Abraham, and the struggle to follow God's Torah and to bless all the nations continues. All the kings of Israel continue to be affected by the evil influencer and the evil kingdom of Babel. However, there is one king named David with whom God makes another promised covenant. This is despite David's mistakes and despite the fact that David gives in to the evil influencer at times because God is faithful and loving. So God tells David that someday a king who is his direct descendant will arise and bring God's complete restoration and kingdom forever over Israel. But this promise doesn't keep Israel from evil so that eventually they are taken out of that good land of promise. Even their first temple the place that God had designed in order to dwell among them, where the Yom Kippur sacrifice was done, that was destroyed. But there is a sense in the narrative of Scripture that God dwelt among them somehow, even in exile, by his loving kindness. Isaiah 63, verse 9, speaking of God during this exile period, says this, In all their affliction... He, meaning God, was afflicted. Think about that. In all their affliction, the affliction of the Israelites in exile, God was afflicted. And the angel of his presence, does that sound familiar to those of us who were here for the Rosh Hashanah sermon? The angel of his presence, his face, saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them, and carried them all the days of old. 
How can God himself be afflicted unless he is with us, dwells with us in our affliction, that is, in the exile? And in order to carry someone back, I would think that, in a sense, God would be in exile with them. Just as when we were thrust from the presence of God in the garden, God, by his rescuing love, his presence always finds a way to dwell among us again. This verse says that the angel of the presence, that is, the Messiah, saved Israel and rescued them from the literal kingdom of Babel. This is the real Babylon and carried them back to Israel. Just like in the Exodus, God rescued us from the evil kingdom to restore us to the land and to his covenantal promise. And so the Israelites start to come back to the land after 70 years. And at this point, they're starting to wonder when God will totally rescue them and totally restore them and dwell among them fully again. Through the prophet Zechariah, God responds to this wondering that he is extremely zealous over Zion, the kingdom of Israel, and wants to dwell in Jerusalem, in the temple. That song that we sing, it's actually from Zechariah, right? I am zealous over Zion. I am zealous over Zion. I am zealous over Zion. I will dwell in Jerusalem. He wants to dwell with us. And Zechariah has a series of dreams, which like our dreams are sometimes very strange and contain wild symbolic imagery. But these visions reflect God's continuing plan. And he tells Israel to come out of Babylon, not only literally to leave there, but also to come out of the influence of the kingdom of Babylon, that evil kingdom, and to return to God. He reminds Israel that she is the pupil of his eye. And anyone who is against God's redeeming purpose to bless all nations through the children of Jacob, it's as if they're poking God in the center of his eye. This is what Zechariah says. In the words of Iron Man to Loki, not a great plan. In chapter 3 of Zechariah, verse 1 through 5, there's a vision of a very special Yom Kippur. This is what it says. He showed me, who's that? Yahashua, Yahashua, the Kohen Hagadol, that is, the high priest, standing before the angel of Adonai with the accuser standing at his right to accuse him. Adonai said to the accuser, may Adonai rebuke you, accuser. Indeed, may Adonai, who has made Yerushalayim his choice, rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Yahashua was clothed in garments covered with dung. And he was standing before the angel who said to those standing in front of him, take those filthy garments off of him. Then he, to him he said, see, I am taking your guilt away. I will clothe you in fine robes. I said, they should put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and gave him fine robes to wear while the angel of Adonai stood by. Firstly, 
Most scholars connect this Yahashua, the high priest, with the priest Yeshua that we talked about in the Rosh Hashanah sermon, the, the priest in Nehemiah, and the, the names Joshua, it's, it's either translated Joshua, or in Nehemiah, he says Jeshua in most Bibles, but we know that's, that's Yeshua, and the names Yahashua and Yeshua are connected. It's the same name, and here we see Yahashua or Yeshua again as the high priest in this strange vision, the high priest of Yom Kippur. And we see also that old mysterious evil influencer from Genesis, here identified in Hebrew as Hasatan, or the accuser. And we see Adonai, who has covenanted with and chosen Israel, who then rebukes the accuser, the evil influencer. And then we see the sins of Israel, who has chosen the way of that evil influencer and that evil kingdom, have made the robe of even the high priest filthy, covered in human excrement. So they cleaned him up, and they gave him a new robe and a new turban, just like we read in Leviticus that they do on Yom Kippur. And God atoned for and forgave the sins of Israel through the intermediary high priest, here identified by name as Yeshua. And Zechariah continues, Then the angel of Adonai gave Yahashua this warning, Adonai Tsevaot, the Lord of angel armies, says this, If you will walk in my ways, obey my commission, judge my house, and guard my courtyards, then I will give you free access among those who are standing here. Listen, Kohen Gadol Yahashua, or High Priest Yeshua. Both you and your colleagues seated here before you, because these men are a sign that I am going to bring my servant, Tzemach, or Sprout, also translated as Branch. For look at the stone I have put in front of Yahashua. On one stone are seven eyes. I will engrave what is to be written on it, says Adonai Tzevaot. I will remove the guilt of this land in one day. When that time comes, says Adonai Tzevaot, you will all invite each other to join you under your vines and fig trees. This is a strange dream vision, but there's so much in it. If Yahashua, the high priest, as a representative of Israel, will obey the Torah and walk in God's ways, fulfilling the purpose of Israel, he will have free access to the eternal dwelling place of God, the Holy of Holies, described in Leviticus in the tabernacle. But this, this is the real one. To accomplish this, God is going to bring his servant, semach, sprout, or branch. This is the same Hebrew word in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6. This is what Jeremiah says. The days are coming, says Adonai, when I will raise a righteous branch, semach, sprout, for David. 
He will reign as king and succeed. He will do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Yehuda will be saved. Israel will live in safety. And the name given to him will be Adonai Sikenu, the Lord, our righteousness. So Israel is now to put their hope in this branch who would be a righteous king, ushering in the kingdom of Torah, obedience, and love, who would carry the name of Adonai himself, according to Jeremiah. And according to Zechariah, they're to hope in the high priest, Yahashua, or Yeshua, who will remove all the guilt of the land in one day by his Yom Kippur sacrifice, taking away the filth of their sin and rebuking the evil influencer once and for all. So Israel was to hope in both of these figures, the king and the high priest. Unless, of course, the eternal high priest intermediary figure and the eternal king figure happen to coalesce into one person in complete harmony. But what are the odds on that? Well, Zechariah continues to explain this in a vision a few chapters later. This is chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. Take silver and gold and make crowns. Put one on the head of Yahashua, the son of Yehotzadak, uh, the Kohen Hagadol, that's the high priest, and tell him, Adonai Tzavot says, there is coming a man whose name is Zamach, the righteous branch or sprout. He will sprout up from his place and rebuild the temple of Adonai. That's, remember, that's where the presence of God is. Yes, he will rebuild the temple of Adonai. He will take up royal splendor, sitting and ruling from his throne. There will be a Kohen before his throne. They will accept each other's advice in complete harmony. There's no more complete harmony than having that be one person. Zechariah continues to clarify with his visions and prophecies in the rest of the book. He proclaims that the fasts of Israel, including the fast of the seventh month on Yom Kippur, are designed for Israel to repent. That is, to draw Israel back to God's ways in the Torah, to administer justice, show compassion on our brother, and care for the widows and the orphans. Those fasting days, the days of affliction, will then become times of joy and gladness. This is what Zechariah says, in the kingdom of God. And ten people from the nations will cling to the cloak of one Jew and say, I have heard that God is with you. In fulfillment of the charge and promise to Abraham. God tells Israel in chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice with all your heart, daughter of Zion. Shout out loud, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and he is victorious. Yet he is humble. He's riding on a donkey. Yes, on a lowly donkey's colt. Not very majestic, right? Hee-haw! So this messianic king who will restore Israel is humble. 
and he enters Jerusalem on a donkey. So if it ever goes down like that in history, we should probably pay attention because that means that God's kingdom is at hand. And then in Zechariah 12, verse 10, he says this, I will pour out on the house of David and those living in Jerusalem a spirit of grace and prayer. They will look to me, whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will be in bitterness on his behalf, like the bitterness for a firstborn son. They will look to me. The me there is God. How can we pierce God? How can we mourn for God as for an only son? That would mean that this figure would, would die. So the Lord, the Messiah, would be rejected and even pierced and murdered. But then he will be mourned as one mourns for an only son. So if it ever happens like this in history, we should probably pay attention because God is fulfilling his covenant promises with Abraham, Moses, and David. And in Zechariah 14, verses 8 through 9, he says this, On that day, fresh water will flow out from Jerusalem, half toward the eastern sea and half toward the western sea, both summer and winter. Then Adonai will be king over the whole world. On that day, Adonai will be the only one, and his name will be the only name. So the messianic kingdom, ushered by the messianic king, will finally bring the kingdom of God over the whole earth and defeat the evil influencer and the evil kingdom once and for all. The thing about the narrative of Scripture is that it's really an invitation. Which kingdom are we going to align ourselves with? We have two choices. There's the kingdom of Bevel, which leads to murder and hate and death, whose king is that ancient influencer of evil and lies known as the accuser. Or we have the kingdom of heaven, which leads to restoration, forgiveness, and the love of God going out through Israel to all nations, whose king is the Messiah and the eternal high priest of Yom Kippur. What if there should come along in the narrative of history a man, a man who was the son of Abraham and the son of David, who stands as a high priest and intermediary forever, who never sinned or gave in to the kingdom of evil, who wore the filthy robe that the children of Adam earned, but then was given a clean white robe to be able to enter the Holy of Holies, who lived out in his own life the purpose of Israel, who eventually blessed all nations and all children of Adam and brought them back into the presence of God in the garden, who rode into Jerusalem not on a white horse but on a humble donkey, 
who was a king unlike any other king in the history of Israel because he was a righteous branch who followed the story of Joseph with his own life so that when he was rejected by some of his own brothers and raised up to a position of authority just like Joseph, he forgave them. Someone who in his very body contains the full presence of God that was in the tabernacle above the tablets. Someone who exhorted us in his teaching to trust in God, to love God, and to love one another. If such a person existed, then perhaps we should trust in him. Because that would mean that God is inviting us into his story and inviting us to be part of that kingdom, to bring the love and the knowledge of God to the ends of the earth. Shabbat Shalom.